Quite a the kick. denial by Touche. Oh, Rack it up. Like they're down yeah. 19 early. Played really poorly out of the gate. And a sign of good character and togetherness. No quit. And even though it's only one win. It's, it's, better, a yeah. it's a positive step, man. No, you can done. build on a lot of things tonight. Congratulations. Well-earned win. Great effort. Now, when I was writing my show notes yesterday, this intro was going to be uh, very, very different. That was until the Raptors, of course, scored a record 144 points, a franchise record for the points scored in regular time, and swept aside a sprightly King's outfit. It begs the question, also it changed the nature of the question, do the Raptors tank this year or have they just been unlucky? Varel, the Raptors have a two and six record. Uh, they've improved since yesterday. They were going to be bottom of the East, interestingly enough, uh, mm -hmm. had they not got the W against the Kings. So what are we talking about in terms of Toronto, their prospects of the rest of the season? And remembering that they've only played eight games out of 72 your thoughts yeah that's that's an excellent point Camille no need to panic too much I think um some feel-good stories some people put out were certain teams in the previous like two decades who started off with similar poor records and ended up finishing um even near the top of the conference I think even uh, I believe it was the Houston Rockets a couple of years ago they ended up finishing 53 and 19 with a similar poor start uh, none of these teams went on to win the championship, but we were never expecting Toronto to win the championship anyway. Maybe for them to finish as, you know, where we were hoping the four or five seed. So, um, yeah, I think uh, we can just start off by saying, talking about some of the good things that we saw in yesterday's game. Yeah, I mean, uh, initially, just on your point, actually, uh, no one's asking the Rockets or the Nuggets to tank this year, right? They have a three and four and three and five record, respectively, sitting 12th yeah. and 13th in the East. And even the Timberwolves, who some expected to make a good run with D'Lo, and obviously Cat's been injured, but, you know, some expected them to be maybe challenging for the lower playoff spots. No one's asking them to tank. So why is Toronto necessarily a different story? Um, one reason yesterday why they succeeded, actually, was Chris Boucher, who has been a rare bright spot this season, a revelation of sorts. He scored 23 points off the bench, 9 of 12 from the field, grabbed 12, 10 rebounds, including four offensive boards, and got three blocks, including one of his famous uh, get that garbage out of time out of here, uh, which, of course, Jack Armstrong narrated beautifully. This season, yeah. he's also been a bit of a revelation. If you look at his stats, he's averaging 21 minutes a game, 13 and a half points, uh, six rebounds, 2.1 blocks a game, which is huge, of course, on the defensive yeah. end. And uh, I want actually to come back to say what I said in our preview episode. What if that is someone like Boucher is playing 20 minutes, you're not going to challenge for the playoff spots. And I've been proving completely wrong. What's different about maybe Boucher this year? Is it the system? Is it just because he's becoming the main man? Is he just developing naturally? Is or has nothing really changed at all? Is he is this just a hot streak for him? Um no. So I I thought he I saw this potential in him last year. I was really really surprised uh, in certain stretches of the playoffs that he was being played like five to ten minutes by Nick Nurse uh, I didn't really understand why the same with the regular season he was basically putting he was put at the same level as Terrence Davis which didn't make sense to me because uh, I never saw that massive inconsistency with, inconsistency with Boucher's play because 
you kind of know roughly what you're going to get from him each game. On the offensive end, uh, you don't need to, he, he's not going to be the type of player who's going to be looking to create his own shot or even to really be backing up people in the post because he simply doesn't have the frame for it. You basically want him to be setting screens, making good cuts. And it's the kind of performance we saw from him yesterday um, when Van Vliet and Siakam were uh, causing trouble, uh, slashing past their defenders. Boucher was just making some really nice cuts to the basket. And that's basically what we want from him on the offensive end. And when it comes to the defensive end, there, has there been any change? No, he was a monster defensively whenever he played last year for, for ex exactly what he, we wanted him to do. Getting those blocks from the weak side, he's just really disruptive generally. And I think the reason why he seems to be more valuable this year is because we have, uh, we have realised that those losses of Gasol and Ibaka were quite significant. And the other people he's challenging for starting minutes with are people who've been struggling themselves, Baines and Len. And so uh, we talked about, well, I said I wanted ba uh, Boucher to have a larger role in that uh, centre rotation. And uh, you can call it small ball. I, I think that's probably what you would call it with him playing uh, the five and with Siakam playing the four. But it seemed to work yesterday. And so I'm of the opinion that this should continue. Yeah, I mean, I was about to ask you, actually, who should start and should Boucher completely oust Baines from the lineup. Of course, Baines was rested yesterday. Some say rested, some say would say punished because of, I think in the last previous four games, he scored a grand total of 11 points despite mm. logging starters minutes, which is shocking and actually credit to the Suns management there for showing up to be a much better player, at least in the box score, than perhaps he really is. Maybe he just doesn't yeah. fit into the system. It's a difficult one with Aaron Baines, but I'm sure we'll touch on him later. But Boucher getting a bigger role in the offense is big. But also, you could cut out Len as well as the backup center because what we saw in the previous game and in this game was OG and Anobi at the five. And that is the definition of small ball. And I know it means that yeah. you have a very skinny six foot 10 guy and then you have a six foot seven small forward playing at the five. But I mean, the Rockets did get to the playoffs doing that. I know it didn't go so well in the end, but. It's, it's a tactic. It's a tactic. And it's using the resources you have. And OG has proved himself in the playoffs at the five as well. And he's continuing his development in the regular season. I'm not sure what, what your thoughts are on that. Would you scrap Len and Baines completely? Maybe just use them, maybe if you've got, you know, a white side or an Adams on the other end, if you need some, need some actual muscle, you know? Yeah. No, what are you I, saying with that? I, I, um... Firstly, uh, I was when you said six ten, I was a bit surprised because I thought Boucher was smaller than that. I did, I did check now. He's, he's six foot eight because oh, he doesn't look that wow. on the court. He yeah. doesn't look six foot I mean, ten. The length, so. the length is huge. To be fair, uh, yeah, the, the arms more than <laughs> yeah. make up for it definitely. Um, but yeah, with I, I'm not sure I have too much of an opinion on OG paying there. I it just I haven't seen enough to say to be honest. That's fair enough. Well, uh, in, in that case, I think we'll uh, we'll move on. We'll, we'll keep sticking. We'll talk about the other games in backwards order up to the next game. But firstly, finishing off on this win against the Kings, Lowry didn't play for personal reasons. So it's up to Van Vliet, who has been a rare bright spot, who's shown up after signing, you know, quite a massive contract in the offseason, yeah. a deserved contract. He's shown up on the playmaking end and... The scoring end, people said, including us, I think, that he couldn't necessarily carry the playmaking mantle by himself. But yesterday, I think because of the form of Siakam, 
who took his game back to basics. You know, he got three offensive rebounds. I think he scored from all of them. He got 12 assists because when he was being doubled, as you said, when he was causing trouble, he was just yeah. finding that open man, like people yeah. like Boucher, easy points for those guys, uh, like Flynn, like Terrence Davis, who scored 18 off the bench. Yeah. Um, he brought his game back to basics and started being aggressive again. Um, and I think that's what led to the win. Even though the Kings did play extremely well, they shot 82% in the first quarter and scored 43 points. But in the end, uh, I guess talent talent told and gave Toronto fans a little bit of hope in quite a dark season so far. Um, well, yeah. On that note with Siakam, Kamel, um, yeah. so... It was just, it was very clear that he wasn't taking like those, he wasn't relying on his mid game, uh, mid range and three point game. Because I think what he was trying to do at the start of the season was he wanted to become that smaller player. He wanted to become like a Kawhi Leonard or a Paul George even. And um, I think, yeah, he just needs to simplify it. Rely the number of times yesterday he was just backing up his man in the post. That's what we want. They came over to double, kick the ball out. That's why we also we, we'll talk about Powell as well because Powell had to pay a more restricted role in terms of what was expected of him because he wasn't uh, coming with the second unit. But we'll talk about Powell in a second. But um, yeah, with Siakam, yeah, that's what we want to see. And to be honest, the problem he had against the Celtics was he just simply wasn't big enough to do it against you know more sturdy, more powerful defenders. He didn't have that issue yesterday. He had the likes of Bagley. Sometimes Harrison Barnes on him. These are guys he is physically bigger than. So I think that's how he is going to succeed. I don't think he'll ever become like a 40% three-point shooter, um, you know, make, making like three, four threes a game. I don't think he's ever going to be that. So he should just focus on what he's good at rather than trying to make what he's not so good at slightly better. If you see what I mean, it's focusing on your strengths. Agree on all of that. And obviously yeah. his confidence took a hit in the bubble. The one thing is, though, when he's being defended, this year, opposition teams have been most successful, if you look at who's defended him, with smaller, more sturdy guys rather than the bigger guys. And I saw it was, it's not credit to me, I didn't do this original analysis, how good I am. Um, but it was, yeah, it was a post on Reddit, which suggested that, you know, when the likes of Tatum or, or Jalen defend him, they have more success than perhaps six foot ten guys uh, defending him. So they're actually putting smaller guys on Siaka and he can't do his thing. So it's something we'll but, look at. But in the these future. small guys have to be very well built. And oh, yeah. I don't know how many of them there are in the league. Maybe a James Harden comes to mind as well, but it's going to be rare that you come against teams that have that type of personnel. No, it's very true. It's very true. And to be honest, like if you look at, uh, we'll, we'll move on to the Suns game now, if that's all right. And yeah, yeah. again, there were very few, despite the loss, there were very few Raptors fans I found in the discourse that were upset after this because one, Siakam shot 11 for 21 and scored 32 points. His comeback game, as it were. Uh, we had Boucher contributing nicely off the bench, as with Norman Powell. Uh, Lowry and Van Vliet both shot very well from the field. And it was only really the Suns shooting 21 from 40 from the three yeah. that affected the game. And to be honest, I know the Raptors' defensive system tends to protect the paint a little bit more and gives up corner threes. But no team is going to shoot like that sustainably. And if they do, you just have to accept the, the L sometimes. Well, and th this is uh, something I was going to bring up today was um, we're, I'm very worried about the opponent's three-point rate this year. 38% opponents are shooting against the Raptors. So I don't think 
it was that anomalous. I mean, the Suns are a very good three-point shooting team, but um, we talked about some of the reasons why in the previous episodes about they have them having to more so focus on the paint because of uh, how the centers were getting bullied there. But I think that's another reason why we need Boucher there because Boucher can actually close out people on the line. He, he can pretty much defend anyone out there um, apart from maybe point guards. So like I saw yesterday, like the three-point defense was much better with him there. When you have Len there, you've got no chance. You've got absolutely no chance of defending it. Like as soon as you bring him out, maybe further than like 10 foot from the rim, he's just a deer in the headlights. He hasn't got a chance. So um, I think, yeah, that this small ball thing, I think with a Boucher playing there, I think it's, it's, it shouldn't be something they go to for 10, 15 minutes a game. It should be their primary mode of offense, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and you, defense. And it'll, it'll take out pretty much the opposition's game plan because I know small the small ball has become more popular, but most teams still have that traditional big man who's yeah. uh, job. And so small ball will completely throw off opposition coaches. And there's no better time to try it when. There's no pressure. Like, I guess there isn't too much pressure on Nick Nurse now. I know some people are calling the tank, but it's unlikely the front office will have do anything to no. the championship winning man, especially as he exceeded expectations last season as well. That's yeah. a separate point. There were two players as well who um, played extremely well against the Suns and the Kings. Uh, you wanted to touch on one, Norman Powell. Uh, how do you see his role in the offense? I'll just quickly give his season stats before we move on. 10 point eight uh, points a game. He's shooting only 35% from the field, but he's shooting 43% from three, surprisingly. Uh, and then he's not he's not contributing too much except 1.3 steals a game otherwise. So his role in the Raptors offense going forward, especially if we see maybe Boucher or OG at the five, what, 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 are, you, what are you seeing with Nick Nurse and, and him and his plans? Yeah, really good question. Um, I think with Norman, uh, I, d- I don't know if you've, tried to like pick him out during games and you've been watching but he has been coming off the second uh the bench for the second unit and nick nurse has tried to give him the responsibility of being the playmaker for that second unit and i just don't think he's up to the task quite yet maybe he needs a little bit more time to develop in that role but i think genuinely it's just again it's not his quite his strength and we saw yesterday when fred basically had all those responsibilities and you had the likes of Siakam giving Norman Powell open shots. He didn't have to try and like do step back threes or um, take 10 dribbles and take on his man. He, he wasn't doing that. It was just very simple and playing within the offense. And I think that's why he was so good uh, yesterday, why the, the games that he has played well, that's that's what's happened. He's just pretty much got the ball where he's he's been where he's needed to be and he just made the shot. So... Potentially, this was one thing I was thinking about was having one of Larry and Van Vliet potentially play about 25 to 30 minutes, but to not actually start. Because I also think that gives you slightly a little bit more length as well uh, on the, in the starting five, because Larry and Van Vliet are both uh, significantly undersized. So I, I don't know. I don't know if you think that's a good idea, Kamel, for Powell to start continue, uh, going forward. I think it's a really interesting one because in it was 2017-18 season, I believe, where the bench mob kind of came into its own and it was Lowry running with the bench that was extremely successful. And with Lowry's age, you're not going to want him playing 
necessarily 35 minutes while starting per game. You do might want him running with that second unit, you know, as a more veteran presence. Yeah. So yep. it's a very interesting idea. It's worth trying. I mean, it's it'll be worth uh, doing some analytics and seeing how both Van Vliet and Lowry do when they're running with the majority of the second unit. I don't think anyone's done that yet. Right. It's too early in the season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it has worked before. And with Lowry's age, it could be the most sensible thing long term. Well, and was that DeRozan's last year with the team? I believe so, yeah. And then so DeRozan yeah. mainly carried... Well, Lowry did play with the starters, but then whenever the bench ran, he did play excessive minutes. And whenever I... he ran with the bench, it was very, very successful. Yeah, I kind of remember that. Team. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, and the other player I wanted to talk, to, talk about was uh, Yuta Watanabe. Uh, Japanese player was yeah. <laughs> signed um, on a two-way contract after impressing in preseason, and surprisingly, I think he's chalked up a lot more minutes than expected. Against the Suns, he played 16 minutes. Uh, yesterday, he played 18 minutes. Uh, even against the Celtics, when he came on, uh, well, I guess he played four minutes against the Suns. But those four minutes were the best four minutes that Jason Tatum faced of defense in that whole game. <laughs> and, um, but no, seriously, he's not, he's not necessarily showing up on the box score, but he's definitely passing the eye test. Um, I'm not sure what, how much you've seen on him. I could, I could wax yeah. lyrical about this man's general play, but his, I think his defensive tenacity um, is sort of what we wanted to see, well, what we saw from at some points from Hollis Jefferson last season, what maybe wanted to see from Bembry this season. I think he could be a very useful eighth man. Uh, yeah, I've, I've loved every minute he's been on the court. He's pure energy. Like, he has the... I think he's, he's realised it because he's so on the fringe at the moment with the team. Every minute he's out there, he's just playing like it's his last possession on the court. Like, oh, yeah, rebounding as well. He's just giving absolutely everything. Seven and rebounds yesterday, honestly, to be fair. Yeah, in, what was it, 19 minutes. And that's another struggle that the Raptors had last year that they have this year as well. Potentially, he might help uh, fix that uh, problem for them. But um, I, I'm not even sure if I'm correct. Like, if if this is a ridiculous thing for me to say, but it is part of like the Japanese culture of just like you know this t- tenacity and, and never give up kind of attitude, just giving 100 percent at all times. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know if I'm taking it too far with that, but like maybe I watch too much anime, Kamel. But um, it, I don't know. Maybe that's part of being bred into him like that's part of his cultural like um, mental identity as a player and so but I think even if he was given a bigger role say if it was like 15-20 minutes I do think he seems like the type of player that would uh, give this show this kind of hunger like night in night out yeah I mean the biggest problem in this Raptor squad so far is depth right it's gone from very very strong bench led by Ibaka and when you look at the Two players you can't necessarily rely on right now in terms of Aaron Baines and Alex Len. You need that rebounding presence, as you said. So, and as we know, it's a wider point, but in the last, well, I guess in every single Raptors loss this season, they've actually gone up by double digits in some point in the game. And you bring someone like that on, maybe when they've scored a couple of threes, maybe when they're threatening a comeback, that kind of energy guy will give you everything on defense and rebound everything for you, giving up no easy points. It's a useful thing to have. And I think, uh, you know, like, I think it was this time last year, well, this point in the season last year, mm-hmm. where we kind of looked at Terrence Davis a little bit and uh, Chris Boucher, in fact. We did we did those two books of Chris Boucher and Terrence Davis. And yeah. um, who was it? It was O'Shea Brissett, I believe, uh, one of them. He was kind of looked similar. Yeah, O'Shea, uh, yeah. O'Shea didn't end up, O'Shea wasn't a good prediction in the end. 
but we we kind of looked at those kind of hustle players who could help out. So it's it's, it's worth keeping an eye. I think it's worth keeping an eye. And uh, yeah, we, we won't touch on him now, but Malachi Flynn as well, who's getting some minutes now. It's, it's worth yeah, keeping yeah, yeah. an eye again, but we won't touch on him now. Um, yeah. I did want to go right back actually to quite a devastating loss, which really showed up the Raptors as having a distinct lack of talent in order to challenge for the top this season, which was the 126-114 loss to the Boston Celtics. Tatum dropped 40. And Peyton Pritchard, 23 off the bench. Very surprising. I think he's five foot ten, isn't he? He gives sort of hope to all us uh, under short kings, uh, I believe, uh, in terms of making making it to the top. Even though Van Vliet scored 35, Siakam scored 22. Um, it, it, it was just, there was, there was just a lack of quality there. Did you manage to grasp anything from this game we kept kept their big men quiet Thompson and Daniel Tice in 34 combined minutes scored two points so kept that quiet but yeah but those those guys aren't exactly expected to score yeah. like Tristan Thompson not at all his role hasn't been that at all grabbing rebounds trying to play defense for that team setting screens um same with Tice Tice is a bit more of a shooter but again it the damage does come from the front court um I think they've had somebody else they've had two Short guys who uh, really impressed me. I'm trying to figure out. Who it, uh, so the so the guys who scored. So Robert Williams Jr. obviously scored. Uh, semi was it? Is it Waters? Is Waters the yeah, point guy? It was somebody I've seen in another game. I don't think it was in this game. Um, I don't think it was Carson Edwards. It, yeah, it might have been Waters. But um, I, I've I've seen a bit of Pritchard this season. He does, despite again his frame, he does he does seem like a good player. He's a good shooter in college. Um, so Celtics have had quite um, short guards for like the last couple of seasons. So I think well, they had Wanamaker who went last year. I, I can't remember which team he's with this year, but yeah, um, I think he's adept at coaching those kind of players, Brad Stevens. But yeah, I mean, you know that Raptors game, Kamel. We started off so well in the first quarter, and I know I'm not on Twitter personally, but I saw afterwards that apparently uh, Raptors fans were just thinking to themselves, right, right, it looks like we're back on track. And then we get the second quarter from hell where Boston just completely, I, I don't know what the three-point percentage was in the quarter, but they, I think they ended up outscoring the Raptors. by 38, 38 to 14. Yeah, yeah. Very uh, no, you're right, you're right. I mean, it's, it seems now every time the Raptors go up 10, that soon as the opposition makes a three you know, you know the comeback started and the team deflates. And uh, it was quite indicative that yesterday they were actually down to Sacramento in the first quarter and then made the comeback. Maybe that's the way yeah. to go forward, just lose by 10 in the first quarter on purpose. Uh, and, and it's something they did last year, Kamel, wasn't it? They came back in so many Dallas, everyone remembers that Dallas game too. still. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the previous two games, I mean, we've had five games since the last one. Obviously... The New Orleans and the New York game seem quite far back. I think what New Orleans we can just describe as Eric Bledsoe. It was a tight game, but Eric Bledsoe yeah. and Brandon Ingram particularly had excellent games, as they did in the season open, of course. And the Knicks game was actually keeping Julius Randle quiet, who only scored 16. And I know you wanted to speak. I mean, some one of the season surprises, I guess, have been the Knicks and have been Julius Randle. Um, how? You know, the front office is so bad. We, we memed on them for for drafting so many power forwards and big men in recent times. And suddenly, you know, uh, their record's pretty solid at the moment. I believe they're five and four So uh, at the time of recording. So fair play to them. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how much to talk about them. I predicted them to finish bottom of the conference. It doesn't look like that's going to happen with what we've seen. I mean, it was interesting for me for 
uh, Austin Rivers, I think, in the media, he said, I've been on bad teams before and this team is not one of them. Um, so he's, he's probably right in saying that. Even Rivers has uh, played pretty well for them this year. Uh, so I think it's... I'm just going to wait and see with them. But Julius Randle could, looks like he's... At this point, if he... It's only, what, now a month and a half to All-Star break. I don't know if All-Star break is going to be postponed compared to previous seasons, but Julius Randle only needs maybe 10, 15 more games like this, and he's pretty much a certified starter for that game. People were saying that he's actually playing better than a lot of the MVP candidates so far. I know it's only nine games, but, you know, one-eighth of the season gone, and he's still in that conversation. Let's see how long he can keep it up. Yeah. Are there any other... Um, in I guess it's been it's been a I mean we talked about it last time about the games flying past like a whirlwind and all the stories sort of getting caught up in one another we don't necessarily get time to touch on them but has there been sort of one or two themes or trends that you've seen running through that you might want to bring up about the NBA in general? Um, I, th- I think uh, one thing we discussed uh, before recording today uh, just bringing up the Warriors because uh, we Steph struggled, and when we say struggled, we mean he struggled for his own standards. Like, um, he had a couple of under par performances, but to be expected of somebody who's been out, I, I know he had that return after the bubble, but even that wasn't very many games, so he's been out for over a year. Um, and then he has his career high, um, which I was really, I was really a big fan of Kerf actually leaving him in the game, but because he has in the past. Um, when like Clay's had those ludicrous performances, like benching uh, either Steph or Clay for like the whole fourth quarter, and I think it's because he doesn't want them to like peak too early, maybe, or like for them to still have something to reach later on in their career. But I'm glad he didn't hold back Curry here because he just needed that kind of performance. And um, if we actually look at the team as a whole, Kamel, uh, like we saw it in the Clippers game yesterday. They were down like 20 points in the third quarter. It's probably because of the Clippers. Again, we talked about that lack of mental strength. But it also, it says a lot about this team that um, they were able to persevere. And one big highlight for me has been Eric Pascal and the fact that he's been able to perform at a similar kind of level that he was last year. He, he was the Draymond Green of last year. And if you look this year, I thought, okay, maybe Draymond would start getting back into it. And Draymond's role on offense has been non-existent. They've pretty much gone to Draymond, right, do a couple of uh, pick and rolls with Steph, and that's all you're doing, mate. He's averaged two points, and it's been Eric Pascal who's averaged 12 points, who's shot fairly well from the field. So um, I think he's now, like, kind of like their new glue guy. Draymond's still playing pretty good defense. I think he's averaging... um, over one and a half blocks. Uh, with 1.6 steals a game, uh, oh, 0.2 steals, blocks. Right. And I did want to bring up, he is still getting 5.2 assists a game and he yes. does have the best assist to turnover ratio in the team. However, yeah, he's he's not he's not picking up a great PR, which I know is an important stat to... Uh, well, like, offensively, he's doing, yeah. no. he's doing nothing. He's doing nothing. Yeah, I mean, Warriors in general, uh, we, we said, people said that Steph would struggle being the main man because he hasn't got Clay to just whip out to and, you know, if he's doubled, for example, but right. he has got he has got some help on this team. You talked about Pas- Eric Pasal, or I, I call it. I've been calling him Pasal all these all this time, but Pasal, yeah, Pasal, no, yeah, don't know. Yeah, but Wiggins, of course, volume shooter. He's still putting up almost eighteen points a game. You got Wiseman, who's been a revelation. I think he's I think he's outperformed Anthony Edwards. 
pretty comfortably so far. Amazing. Yeah, and he's it's only been eleven points, but as in if you he's been very efficient, but he's just looked so smooth. So yeah, I mean, very... I wish it I wish it would show up on on the box score a bit more uh, for the sake of my fantasy team, but it's fine for now, and I'm sure it will develop. And I guess below that, you haven't got too much. You know, you've got Kelly Oubre. He's not, he's not struggled. He struggled he is, a he bit. Struggled. Uh, but, you, I mean, you've, you've got a little bit of depth there. You know, when you have Ken Bazemore and Wanamaker coming on, you know, solid role yeah. players, you know, uh, can't be complaining too much. And I think, yeah, I think you're right. The Warriors will surprise us all. Where did you put the Warriors in your predictions out of interest? I, I didn't yeah, have I'm them in the Camille. Really? And, Let's just revisit and the them very is, quickly. The, the thing is, I had Steph as an MVP candidate and, and as the Warriors in the top four or five seeds because I thought, any team with Steph is going to be an elite offense, with or without Clay, honestly. And this, when when I made the prediction last year, Clay was still healthy. So this year, I was like, okay, Clay was unhealthy, not healthy. And even when Steph wasn't injured last year, the Warriors didn't look that great. And it's because Draymond was so bad. And I thought, right, if Draymond's still going to be bad for this team, I know how important he is for this team. So that's why I didn't have him making the playoffs. But um. I think, again, it's only been nine games, but it does look like, yeah, this team is almost certain, I think, to make the playoffs. Yeah, Where I'm did just, you have them? Come I'm on. just looking at the predictions. I had them fighting with the Suns for eighth seed, which, to be fair, right. the Suns are pretty much at the top of the West right now. And they're, yeah, they're another yeah, yeah, story yeah. we haven't quite touched on yet, but uh, we'll do definitely do that in another episode because yeah. there's so many themes going around. Um, and I think, yeah. unless there's anything, unless there's AOB, I think we'll wrap it up there. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, thanks once again for listening to Balling in the Six. We'll be back, of course, next week. Um, I meant to say that Steph's got an interesting opponent coming up. Uh, he will be going, I believe, to Tampa Bay to face the Raptors next time, <laughs> which is, um, you know, not not exactly. There was some complaints, actually, about, you know, oh, sorry, they're going, to, um, they're going to Golden State, thankfully, because, of course, every game in Tampa Bay is an away game for the Raptors. And I don't know if you heard it in the Boston game, but people were cheering for Taco Fall. That's, that's the loudest cheer in that stadium. Right now, fans are allowed back in Tampa Bay, but they won't change oh, wow. the Raptors. I mean, I mean, to be fair, there are that what hundreds of miles away. There's not not many Canadians down there. Yeah, yeah. But it's, yeah, a, it's a difficult one. It's 72 away games, two and six. Uh, let's see if the Raptors will bounce back. Games against Golden State, then a difficult one at Portland, and then uh, a couple of games against Charlotte, which should be very interesting because, of course, they're overperforming as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, until we face Gordon Hayward and Co. Bro, thanks again for appearing on the podcast. Uh, we'll see you next week. Yeah, catch everyone next week.